listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Primary Medicine Podcast. Uh, my name is Dr. Dimitri. I'm really excited today where we have Dr. Pabani with us, and we'll be talking about what we call endocrine emergencies. They're rare. Although, uh, by, by talking to Wahid, we've probably seen one of each of these, these ones in our practice. But they're worth knowing because, you know, if they happen to you, you got to know what to do. So, we'll, we'll cover a couple of glands. We'll go with the thyroid gland first. We'll move on to the adrenal glands and finish off with the pancreas. So, maybe we'll start with one of Wahid's stories because they're always entertaining. Tell me about the patient with the myxedema coma, Wahid. What happened and how did she present and uh, how did the case get resolved? This was one of the uh, more fascinating things I've had. So I was actually the inpatient doctor for this pa- patient. I w- wasn't the one in the emergency department. And as you know, these are fairly rare and you always have to have a high index of suspicion. So it was a lady who was Canadian, moved to the States for many years, lived there for a very long time, lost her OHIP coverage because uh, she had been in the States for so long, was feeling unwell, couldn't afford the healthcare in the States. And as her unwellness progressed, decided, I'm going to move back to Canada in the meantime. So she was driving from Detroit back to where I'm from, Norfolk County, which is where her son lived, I believe, and she was going to come to stay with him en route somewhere outside of Woodstock. Uh, she was filling up gas and passed out at the gas station and essentially went into a coma. They couldn't rouse her. They called the EMS. EMS airlifted her to Hamilton because they uh, were on a trauma code, I believe, or some sort of orange emergency. Ended up in the ICU in Hamilton. Uh, they found her TSH to be a few hundred, resuscitated her, put her on life support, gave her a synthroid, and uh, woke her up, essentially. Found out that she was exceptionally hypothyroid. Yeah, she ended up uh, doing well. They shipped her back to me because I was the hospitalist at her quote-unquote home hospital, though she didn't have a exact home at that time. And we uh, we fixed her up and sent her home to her son after that yeah so she has she had a condition of uh called myxedema coma where i'm assuming maybe she had issues with her thyroid gland for a while because of the uh healthcare system the way it works in the state she never actually got it checked out she was just feeling tired lethargic like just generally unwell that was progressing thought that if she came back to canada she can get it all worked out i guess she was right so we're dealing with really high TSH and really low T4 and T3. Uh, maybe even, I, 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 do you remember what the, the T3, T4 were, was? Yeah, I don't remember the exact numbers of those, but definitely, uh, they're probably undetectable if her, yeah. uh, TSH was in the f- few hundreds. And again, she's actually, it's extremely rare. It's even more rare that, that it presents with a coma because usually these people will present with, a mental state that's going off. They're just deteriorating before they get to the coma stage. The other thing that's interesting is it's, it does mostly happen in women. I think 80% of cases are in women over 60. And 90% of them occur during winter time. And just the way you think about it is everything. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that's what I was reading. 90% of them occur in winter time. And 
what's interesting about this is the way you remember it is everything slows down. Like all your vitals slow down. Your hypothermic, mm-hmm. your bradycardic, your hypotensive, your respirate goes down, uh, and you can get hypoglycemic, which can lead to seizures and death. I'm wondering if she might have had a seizure. I'm assuming when she passed out, nobody saw her pass out. Yeah, I don't know the the situation of the actual pass out, but it was it was an emergency enough that they airlifted her to Hamilton. Jeez. So um, it was a, a bigger deal than than just you know take her to the nearest emergency department. And do you know? If, did they did they ever figure out what precipitated the this issue? And not exactly. She, um, we did find out later she also had sleep apnea, but I don't think that uh, was the root cause of her being unwell. I think that just came up with after we found her. Oh, or maybe it was just because she needed Synthroid and wasn't getting it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of things that could precipitate this, including infections such as pneumonias or urosepsis and certain medications as well, opioids, lithium, and anesthetics. Uh, in the hospital, it can happen sometimes if is if you take a patient and you forget to prescribe the thyroid medication, then they might get it. Again, relatively rare. It's important to know that it exists, and the cure is you got to give them some T three T four. That's the yeah. cure. It, it works really well. <laughs> they they get better really quickly, as as you were saying. And it's it's uh, becoming more rare, I'm sure, because everybody who comes in that's feeling under the weather wants their thyroid checked. So we are probably checking more thyroids than we've ever had before. Yeah, I wonder, eh? It'd be hard to miss. Uh, yeah. The, the TSH is always becoming one of those staples of, of the lab, lab exam nowadays. Yeah. So we, we have the high TSH, and then we have some something that happens when you have low TSH and high T4 and T3, which is called a thyroid storm. And what's that, Wahid? That is because you're making too much thyroid. As you mentioned, with low thyroid, everything slows down, and in the, these cases, everything speeds up. I remember I I had one lady. She did wasn't in a thyroid storm yet, but she was hyperthyroid, and I wanted to treat her for her hyperthyroidism. And she's like, "No, can you just wait another week or so?" And I'm like, "Why? Wow. Uh, your, your heart might." conk out at that time she's like no but i have so much stuff to do i have this birthday party to plan and and she had a whole list basically she presented as manic uh, a bipolar manic stage and uh, i remember this distinctly because she was co- convincing me not to treat her because she had too much on the go and needed to get have the energy to get it all done so so her judgment was obviously clouded but by this uh, how did you convince her or did you convince her? I ended up still prescribing her the propanolol to try at least to be cardioprotect. Unfortunately, this was up north, and the, the endocrinologist couldn't see her for probably a few months anyways. But she, I'm not sure, took the medication or not. God, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't verify. I was, I was doing this as a locum, so I don't know in terms of follow-up how well she was doing afterwards. Yes, yeah, so, so again, a thyroid storm occurs when there is a sudden release of T3, T4 in the bloodstream, which can occur after thyroiditis, which we'll talk about next. And as Wahid, you're saying, everything speeds up. So you get hyperthermic, you get hypertensive, uh, you get tachycardic. And I think that's what you were worried about mostly, is you can get a deadly arrhythmia if this is not treated. And that's, of course, the thing that would kill you, right? Is, right. is if your heart goes out, uh, erratic. And it can cause heart failure, heart attacks if you're putting too much pressure on the heart. 
uh, as Wahid you said, propranolol is, is usually what you end up using. And you're trying to keep the heart rate below 100. And an endocrinologist ends up, usually sees them pretty fast, uh, not within months, uh, because they, they tend to prescribe antithyroid agents such as propyl thiouracil and methimazole. That's, that's the treatment for that. Propranolol to keep the heart safe and antithyroid agents. Yeah, as family doctors, we do, we tend to do that, right? The propanolol, and then get them to an endocrinologist. Yeah, you give the you give the endo a call. So I, I had a case of, I actually had a case as why well. I almost forgot I had a case of this, and I remember calling the endocrinologist, and you know they they saw her pretty quickly within a week actually, and they they gave me the pres- the the amount of propanolol I should I should prescribe along with the other medications. Yeah, I'm I'm in a place now where the endocrinologists are much better, closer to Hamilton, and so they can see them much quicker. Uh, but when you were up north, where the closest endocrinologist was three three hours away. Jeez. So yeah, I mean, so thyroid storms are a bit more common than myxedema coma, uh, but not very common. Again, between us and how many years of practice now? Ten each. We've only seen one or two cases. Again, you should know about it. You should think about it. And it's interesting that it presented with a manic episode. Uh, but it, it makes sense, I suppose. Everything's speeding up, right? Even your thought process. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the third issue that can uh, show up with the thyroid gland is much more common, very common, actually. Uh, we have many patients who have gone through this, and that's thyroiditis. And what is that, uh, Wahid? Basically, kind of uh, an an inflammation or so of your thyroid. So your thyroid is triggered for some reason and is making too much or too little. So I've actually seen it in both on both cases. I have one lady who's still kind of struggling with it, where she got some sort of thyroiditis, threw her numbers out of sync, and she constantly goes back and forth between high and low thyroid, and we can't really treat either one because she bounces back and forth between the two. And what caused did did you guys figure out what caused her thyroiditis? Was it autoimmune or was it No, so she it started before she became a patient of ours and then she had a falling out with her endocrinologist. So we haven't gotten the proper investigations done or don't have the official reports back because she didn't continue to show up for his appointments and then we sent her to a different endocrinologist who's like I can't really do anything for her anymore because we're past the uh treatment of this and we just got to make sure that she doesn't get either too too high or too too low so she can go into a thyroid storm or a myxedema coma if you're not careful how often are you checking her, thi- her thyroid uh, hormone every about four months or so she, she's as i already mentioned it has some com- compliance issues so right. um to get her in to do this sort of thing is a little more tricky yeah and again as Wahid is saying thyroiditis is it's actually common. The most common cause is autoimmune, such as Hashimoto's. And if the antibodies destroy the thyroid quickly, you can get a thyroid storm because there's a huge bolus of thyroid hormones released in your bloodstream. On the other hand, most cases of thyroiditis are sort of a slow burn, as in you get the subclinical hypothyroidism eventually. It happens in women mostly, middle age and uh, postpartum. And apparently you get a third case where they go in and out of, of high point hyper, as uh, Wahid was saying, which is, sounds like a nightmare to treat. Follow-up is the most yeah. important part here. So that's for the thyroid gland, uh, the high, the low, and the on and off. Let's talk about the adrenals. And again, these are less common, although I've seen both of these 
in, in my practice. And the first one is called an adrenal crisis. Adrenal crisis occurs when the adrenal glands are hypoactive and not producing enough hormones. And that could be caused by primary, due to primary insufficiency, uh, such as if you have a metastatic process, the metastasis goes to adrenal gland and destroys it, or you have an ischemic or hemorrhagic lesion, which can be caused by sepsis. So people with sepsis, as you can have to remember that the blood supply to certain organs gets shut off. And one of the places they can get shut off is the adrenal glands. So sometimes people who survive sepsis end up with an adrenal crisis afterwards. Then you have your secondary insufficiency, which is a pituitary issue, or the most common cause is medically induced issue, uh, which is what, Wahid? How do we, how can we induce an adrenal crisis? <laughs> oh, I have lots of these people where uh, I put them on steroids for something and put them on steroids too long for something and then forget to. Uh, take them off slowly. If you take them off abruptly, your endogenous amount of glucocorticoids has been suppressed because you have been giving exogenous glucocorticoids and now you have no glucocorticoids in your system and you go into an adrenal crisis. You know, we're talking about people who have temporary arteritis, polymyalgia, rheumatica, things like those, or people that have to be on immunosuppressant therapy for long periods of time. My favorite are these COPDers who keep coming to the hospital every other week. Yeah, so that's the other. Like, if if you have COPD, you can do you can often do a five day prednisone treatment, and you don't need to taper. But if they're coming in on a regular basis, you know the sort of the end stage COPDers who are having a lot of trouble, then you should probably be tapering. The issue with that is that uh, when you finish your taper, they end up getting sick again. Yeah, or if not even finish the taper, you're down to like 30 milligrams or 20 milligrams and they start feeling short of breath again. So they can be challenging a lot. But yeah. the main thing to remember here is if you're dealing with somebody who's been on prednisone for long periods of time, you should taper. Because the most common cause of adrenal crisis is, is doctors forgetting to taper. And how do they present? Like what do they usually end up presenting with when they have an adrenal crisis? It's a little more of the same uh, slowing down kind of thing. So they're hypotensive, they're nauseated, they're tired, they know no energy, low sugars, low salt, and high potassium because of the, of course, the uh, mineral corticoid effect on the, on the on the kidneys. Yeah. So so it's a bit harder to to diagnose, but you should have a high index of suspicion in people who have been taking steroids for long periods of time and uh, and test and do some tests to make sure they're not dealing with this. And if they do have it, if it's really bad crisis, they're probably at the hospital, but if at the office, you just need to give them exogenous steroids and taper very slowly. How do mm -hmm. you taper usually? Like, let's say you start with a 50. Do you taper uh, two weeks or what's, what's your usual approach? It, it depends on how long they've been on something for. So if, it's, if they've been on it for about two weeks or less, I taper uh, very quickly about uh, five to ten milligrams a day, but if they've been on it for months, then I I do five to ten milligrams uh, a week to a month, depending on how long they've been on it. So sometimes a very slow, slow, slow taper, and sometimes quick, depending on circumstance. Slower is always safer. It's it's. I mean, there there are issues with being on steroids as well. So it, it's a balanced thing. Try to think about the taper. It, there's a reason why we taper. It's not. Uh, it, it is some evidence that tapering, especially for long period, long steroid therapy, is a good idea. So we've talked about the hypoactive adrenal glands. Let's talk about the hyperactive adrenal glands. So 
what happens when your adrenal glands are hyperactive? You get too much adrenaline, right? <laughs> cortisol, uh, and then it's the exact as the the thyroid, where you have a, a too much, you too much energy, palpitations, arrhythmias. You can get shortness of breath, sweats. Uh, basically, you feel like you're going to die for a couple of minutes, and it goes away. Yeah, you get the you get the triggering of the fight or flight response for no reason, which can. People may think it's anxiety or a panic attack, or it could be a pheochromocytoma, which is a tumor that, for whatever reason, decides to secrete epinephrine for without uh, without any uh, control. Like the 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 pituitary gland cannot control this. These people often present with with drug resistant hypertension, and I think if you look at the guidelines, and correct me if I'm wrong, Wahid, because you're the guideline guy, you should consider this as a diagnosis if. Uh, after three or more medications, the hypertension is still not uh, controlled. Is that correct? Correct. As well as if um, you notice electrolyte abnormalities uh, when you start ACEs or ARBs, there there could be something to do with your adrenal gland. So that's okay. That's uh, interesting. Some something to something con- to consider. I do have a guy who has an aldosterone uh, increase and in, that he's going through, and they're trying to work him up to figure out what's what's going on. Yeah, and the the one case I had was actually drug resistant hypertension. And I ended up ordering the 24-euro metanephrine test. He wasn't very happy about it. It's not the easiest test to do. I mean, you have to pee in a, in a, in a container for 24 hours. Um, and uh, that's the, the yeah. standard. I mean, the, the issue with, with pheochromocytoma is, is if you don't treat it, it's really the hypertension and the tach- tachycardia that can cause arrhythmia or heart attacks and death. Um, or even like, uh, you know, a multisystem crisis. You can get encephalopathy because of the hypertension. These guys can can go to like 250 systolic, maybe even more, if you don't if you don't treat them. Uh, rare, but consider it in people who have a harder time with decreasing their blood pressure on medications. Um, a quick thing about treating this is that you want to first start an alpha blocker and then a beta blocker. And why is that? Well, if you um, indiscriminately block beta and forget about the alpha, you get surge of alpha uh, tonicity in the vasculature, which can lead to exceptional hypertension and then stroke. Exceptional, <laughs> exceptional is the word. Yeah, that's where they get to like three hundred and more. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the one case. Once. It's so one thing to remember about these guys if you had to see them in the emerge is, is, is you start with a alpha blockade first and then you better block. So that's the adrenals. Too much or too little. And uh, let's off, uh, end off with uh, our favorite organ, the pancreas. And this is the, uh, the emergencies we see the most, I would say. Uh, in fact, they're sort of, in a way, bread and butter now in the emerge department. You probably see some of these on a monthly basis. Am I correct? Uh, probably not a monthly basis, but yeah, every couple of shifts, some someone comes in with uh, some sort of diabetic complication. It's it's actually interesting. I don't know if if you've noticed this, but uh, since the legalization of pot, I'm having a lot of uh, younger folks with type one diabetes coming in with hyperemesis from smoking too much, which then throws them into DKA. 
it's it's a hard thing to treat because they don't see that the marijuana is the cause for these problems. They think it's just their diabetes flaring up, but they don't they don't seem to understand that it's a cause and effect correlation. Yeah, it's it's uh, what is it? Cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. It's a thing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a it's, it's a true thing, yeah. and but yeah. but for somebody who has type one diabetes, getting dehydrated is much more deadly than somebody who is not type one diabetic. Well, no, I haven't. I, that's, that's an interesting thing. I know that it's been uh, this cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome is 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 quite is will be seen more often nowadays since it's legal. Oh, there's about three kids in the area that we all know that come in on a monthly basis with DKA Jeez. because they smoke too much pot. Okay. And uh, at some point, they'll figure it out? And they haven't figured it out yet, even though every doctor that they've come across has told them this. Yeah, so, so something to look out for in diabetics. Um, yeah. The, so we're talking about diabetic ketoacidosis. Pretty much what's happening is your body cannot metabolize glucose because it just doesn't respond to the insulin. So in that case, it has to deal with uh, breaking down fat. And, uh, that's where you get the ketosis part. Uh, when you break down fat, you get ketones, break down muscle, you, you get a, you acidify. And at the same time, you have really bad hyperglycemia because the glucose is staying in the blood and not going into your brain or your muscle. So this toxic combination causes dehydration. So the triad of ketoacidosis, everybody knows it, but we'll repeat it again. Hyperglycemia, ketosis, and acidosis. So if you have somebody coming into your eMERGE department with cognitive changes or loss of consciousness, you would always, am I wrong here? You'd always test for, for the, for, well, you always do the glucose, obviously. Yeah. The EMS does it automatically now on route. Do you, do you tend to take, are you like, you I mean, do you do the acidity as well? You look at the acidity, but do you tend to do urine, your analysis? Do you take for ketones on a regular basis in the eMERGE? In these people, uh, yeah. Now, uh, if they're in a coma, of course you can't collect urine easily, so we just get it from the blood. Yeah, from blood, which which yeah. in the emergency you can easily do. You can't do it at the office, but right, the you can yeah. do it. And the way it's treated is you you uh, give them a lot of fluids. The principle of therapy is fluids, 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 insulin, fluids, 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 <laughs> some more insulin. Now, so that's diabetic ketoacidosis, which we've all seen. I've, I saw it as a resident. Obviously, you see it on a semi-regular basis. Any type, which is hypoglycemic hyperosmolar syndrome. We used to call it honk, uh, but it has a different name now. It's much yeah. more rare, and it take, tends to happen in type 2 diabetics more than type 1s. Uh, and, and what's happening? No, and, and I'm actually, I am seeing this as well. Uh, but it's definitely yeah, not as common as my DK. I, I, have been, I see this maybe on a yearly basis, once a year. Somebody comes in with something like this. It's the same thing as DKA, except it's type 2 diabetics, so you don't get the ketones, so you don't call it diabetic ketoacidosis, but they still have the same uh, symptomology and same concept where they're dehydrated and their sugars are way high. Yeah, I think you produce just enough insulin that you don't get the ketone production, but you're still dealing with really high sugar in your blood. And if anything, because you have some insulin, this can go on for a long time before it it gets severe enough. Uh, although these guys, I mean, they're probably suffering from fatigue, polydipsia, polyphagia, and polyuria before they come to the emergency. Uh, from what I understand is that these, these people tend to, like the death, the complication rate is higher and they're harder to treat because of how dehydrated they are. 
Is that what you've been seeing? Yeah. So the, the, I guess, fortunate or unfortunate part with it is because it takes longer to manifest as from symptomology, it's been brewing for a long time while DKs manifest pretty quickly. So people come in like, I, I still remember this one of the girls that came in and she smoked pot at like 6 p.m. And by 8 p.m. she was in the emergency department. It so fast. Was it was that quick. That yeah. 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 Whereas yeah. these she, guys can be months, I guess. And they might come in with a seizure or cognitive change or maybe even renal failure. And I, I guess the treatment is the same. You just hydrate, you give insulin, um, and you may have to hydrate them much more because they're probably much more dehydrated. Yeah, we're, we do see a little bit less because those who are diabetic, when they feel unwell, check their sugars and they come in before their sugars get terribly high. So we used to see that more in people who are undiagnosed diabetics uh, who came in with their sugars ridiculous. People are getting caught more sooner because we're doing better preventative screening with for sugars and people. Yeah, I guess skip up is to people who haven't seen a doctor in a long time. Most likely, yeah. uh, because it's it's such a common thing to order. Just like a TSH to order the sugar and the uh, HbA1c, it'd be very hard to miss these guys. And the final thing we'll, we'll finish off with is something that's completely new that didn't really exist uh, when we were medical students because it's uh, caused by one specific medication uh, for diabetes, and that's euglycemic DKA. And the medication we're talking about are the, the new, the new kid in the, on the block, the SGLT2 inhibitors. So you, you, you had a case actually, right? You told me you had a case of this. Yeah. I've actually had two cases of this. The first one, I was in the eMERGE doctor. It, it was a patient that came in and, uh, we just had a weird sneaky suspicion about it. Unfortunately, the other doctor working on had heard of phenomenon and helped helped to kind of guide through it. The second case was an office patient uh, to, for a colleague of mine. And the patient actually presented to the emergency the night before, was told he's a bit dehydrated because they found ketones in his urine, but his sugars weren't high. So they sent him home saying, drink more water. And he came into the office the next day feeling like shit. We dipped his urine there and we found ketones. And my colleague came to me and was like, which drugs caused the uh, euglycine? These are the ones like shit. That's the one that he's on. And we sent him back to the eMERGE, calling the eMERGE department, say, can you double check this again? And sure enough, he was admitted to the ICU that evening. What we're talking about is it's DKA, but the sugar, the, the glucose is normal. So it's actually hard, unless you have suspicion, and it's good that, you have, that in the, both cases there was suspicion of this, you can easily miss it. So the SLG2 inhibitors, as everybody probably knows, you get the glucose is going out through the urine. They're not quite sure how euglycemic decay occurs, but the theory is that when glucose is coming out of the urine, there's decreased insulin secretion. So while your sugar is okay in, uh, in your blood because it's going out in the urine, because there's less insulin in your body, you get ketoacidosis. That's the theory. The treatment is the same, right? You just treat them the same way as, as the DKAs. <laughs> It's just, it's harder to catch unless you know it exists. And the other component to it, it it's usually precipitated by some cause of illness uh, or right. dehydration. So both of these cases, there's a viral illness that they had caught, like a gastrointestinal bug that they were vomiting and diarrhea for a few days and then turned into the euglycemic DKA because they were dehydrated and they were getting rid of all their sugar. 
still. And that's, that's what kind of drove them over the edge. I tell my patients who are on these that if they get sick and they're not eating for whatever reason, they need to stop the medication until they get over their illness, start eating and drinking back to normal, and then restart the medication. That, that's really good advice. And, and if you are doing a walk-in and somebody's coming in who's fitting well on these medications, it's probably a good idea to do your urine dip and see the, what their ketones are. And when you do their urine dip, they have ridiculous amounts of glucose. That is normal for this yes. sort of medication. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. That, that's normal. Uh, don't be like, what the hell? But <laughs> having ketones, having ketones is not. It never is unless they're on a very specific diet, such as the ketogenic diet. Uh, otherwise, uh, ketones in a diabetic is, is a bad thing. I know that nowadays you can get, uh, you can actually get ketone strips as well. Uh, patients can do those, but I haven't seen it being really used very often, very frequently. Assuming it's for very specific cases, but in your office, you, you always have a dip that you can do, and it's really easy, really fast, and can help you diagnose something that's potentially quite deadly if you miss it. Well, uh, that said, we went through the th three big organs and some cases that may occur and have occurred. And just, just keep an eye on That's the big thing of being a doctor. Think of the zebras, and all these are zebras, but zebras show up from time to time. Every week. <laughs> Once you get a zebra for sure. I had a cup, I had a zebra yesterday, so you know, it, it's good to know those. Anything uh, to add? Uh, no, I think we covered all the important aspects. Uh, I'll be working on our book again uh, nearing the end of the year, so you can look out for that. Yeah, of course.